0: morning. I'm Bill Hatcher, one of the elders here at the church. Um, today's scripture comes from the book of Mark. It's chapter 7, beginning in verse 24 down to 30. And if you're using the Pew Bible, it's found on page 843. So the book of Mark, chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Please stand in the reading of God's word. Your Bible may have the um, subscription at the top, the Syrophoenician woman's faith, verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon was gone. As we meditate on God's word, please take a few minutes, and you may be seated. If
1: you don't mind turning back to, keep your hand on Mark chapter 7 and turning back to Matthew Chapter 15. Uh, Nancy, my wife, is a shopper. Man, she loves to shop. But here's the great thing about the way she shops she doesn't buy a lot of things. Uh, The way she does it, it's like a system. It's like you're looking for something for your house, or she's looking for something for her house. She she knows what she's looking for, right? She knows it's a table, it's a chair, it's a picture, whatever it is. And she enjoys the process of just circling back around to three or four places. I don't know if you know like that. And and she knows what she's looking for. And so when she goes in and she circles back around to her three or four spots and she looks and she's just like, you know, that's not it. That's not it. And she's not in any hurry, which is really good for me. And where uh, me, if I need something, today I'm going to get it, right? It's today. It's Today's a day. I'm not a shopper. I'm just a buyer. That's it. And so that's not good. So I like the way she shops. She goes out. She circles around. She circles around. If she takes my daughter clothes shopping, I, I've heard her say this a million times. My daughter says it now. If you don't love it in the dressing room, don't take it home. Right? If you go, well, I don't know, don't, then don't take it home. You gotta love it. You gotta say, this is it. This is the thing I've been looking for. This is the the piece of furniture. This is the piece of clothes that I've been looking for. And so I love the way that she does that. She, she's she got something in her mind, and just any old thing won't do. It's I got it in my mind, and when I see it, I say, that's it. That's what I've been looking for to wear, or that's what I've been looking for to buy for a house, or whatever the case may be. Now, today, when we're looking at these two chapters, really, Mark 7 and 8 and i think the key to these two chapters is this little story in the middle let's think about jesus as a shopper and he's looking for somebody who's completely committed to his word and his way and when he finds it he says that's it and he wants to make everybody understand especially in sort of the the bracket or the context of these two chapters Who this person is, it's the most unlikely person in these two chapters. It's this woman, and we'll get to her, but let's go back and just see how Matthew says the exact same thing, but with a few different phrases. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, this is the same story. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is seer- severely oppressed by a demon. Verse 23, But Jesus did not answer her a single word. I mean, that's tough. And then his disciples came and begged him, saying, saying, Send her away. She Now she's crying out to us. I mean, I'm... Come to Jesus, I'm getting silence Now I'm going to these guys that are around him. But she came and knelt before Jesus saying, or he, or he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. He says, it's not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs and fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered him, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was instantly healed. Jesus, in Mark 7 and 8, he's looking for something. He's got something on his mind. He's looking for somebody. He's looking to bring somebody in. And he, and he knows what it's going to be. And when he sees it, he says, that's it. In chapter 7, verse 1, we'll take a look at the Pharisees. It's like, again, he's on the shopping strip and he runs into the Pharisees. And he concludes, hey, you're not it. You're not what I'm looking for. And then at the end of chapter 8, so like a bracket, he comes to Peter, or Peter's with him. And in a very sad moment, he looks at Peter and says, hey, you don't get it. But like a key, a keyhole in the middle of this, these two chapters is this woman who's desperate. She's pagan. She's Canaanite. She's a Gentile. She's a woman. She has a demon-possessed daughter. And when Jesus sees her, she says to the Pharisees and and Peter, his closest disciples, he says, guys, this is it. This is exactly what I'm looking for. And you think you guys have it? The Pharisees who've got all the law and they've got it all down, they look great on the outside. Peter, who's the closest in, you guys don't have it. You don't know what I'm looking for. And so I'm going to use this woman who really understands. And so we want to really take a good look at these three people. The Pharisees, the disciple, and the woman. Because we want to be somebody who, when Jesus looks at us, he says, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. So let's look at these three people in turn. Mark chapter 7 verse 1. Now then the Pharisees gathered to him, gathered to Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, and they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, they were unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition, it's a key phrase, the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace and they do not eat unless they wash, and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus says to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy to you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines, the commands of men. The the Pharisees approach Jesus, and they need to inform Jesus of something. I always just find that comical, because it happens all the time. But, you know, you're informing the creator of something. Hey, Jesus, in case you didn't see, you know, your disciples didn't wash up before the last meal. And they want to inform him that the disciples aren't following the tradition of the elders. This is what's called the oral law. So there was the written law, the 613 laws of the Old Testament that the Jewish people were following. But then there's a question of how do we follow the written law? And so they they came up with oral law, this extra, you might think of it as padding or space, just to make sure... We know exactly how to follow the written law, and of course, it had a good. I- the, the The concept was a good idea. I'm not exactly sure how to follow this law, and the, and the smart religious people come in and say you follow it by doing these things or not by doing these things. So it was meant to be helpful, but then it, as time went on, it ran into problems and produced some pretty famous absurdities. So let's say on the Sabbath, how do I celebrate or or uh, rest on the Sabbath? Looking into a mirror was forbidden. And the reason it was forbidden is that you might see a gray hair and pull it out. And that would be work. So you can't pull out a gray hair. So we don't want you pulling out any hair. So the oral law says you can't look in a mirror. You can't wear false teeth. Because if they fall out and you bend down and pick them up, that's work and you can't do that. So it's better just to not wear your false teeth at all on the Sabbath, because if they fall out, you're going to want to pick them up, and then you break the Sabbath. You see how it got? I mean, the idea was, I want to follow it rightly, but then it became absurd, and and one of the absurdities was all the cleansing rituals that went on. So the oral law, if it had been written down just for the cleansing rituals, would have consumed 200 pages. So imagine trying to, to, to follow after that. And, and these are very important. One rabbi said, Whoever eats bread without previously washing their hands, it's though as if he had laid with a harlot. So these aren't small things. When, when the Pharisees come and see the disciples haven't washed their hands, this is of the five-alarm fire. We, we just can't have this. And the primary problem, as they, said, they stated here, that they're not following the traditions of the elders. In other words, they come to Jesus and say, we have a word, and they're not following that word. They're following your word. In other words, our word is bigger than your word. And that's the big problem. So the Pharisees come to Jesus, verse 5. Why do your disciples not walk according? That little phrase means... Why aren't they occupied with? Why aren't they occupied with our words? Jesus, we need your followers to be occupied with our words. Do you see that? If you go back earlier in Mark, Jesus has been doing sign after sign after sign, pointing to himself. He's trying to get the disciples to be occupied with Jesus. And when the Pharisees come in and say, hey, we need your guys to be occupied with our words, Jesus explodes. Jesus doesn't get the memo of how to give bad news or correction. You know how that is? Somebody says, now, if you're going to have to say something hard, do it in a sandwich, right? You say something nice in the beginning and then you say something nice at the end, and you squeeze the hard thing you're going to say in the sandwich, right? Jesus didn't get the memo. They say to Jesus, our word is more important than your word, and Jesus looks at them and says, you guys are hypocrites. No sandwich, just meat. (laughs) You're just like the prophet Isaiah predicted you, you, you say the right things with your lips but your your lips betray the, the condition of your heart you're co- you're 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 concerned about your own words you're not concerned about my words and you can see the repetition of it verse 8 you leave the command of god and hold the tradition of men. Verse 9, you reject the commands of God to establish your own tradition. Verse 13, you make void or you hollow out the word of God by your salvation. Jesus is just repeating the same problem over and over again. And the reason Jesus is exploding is he's not exploding against tradition, but he's exploding against any person, any word masquerading as a rival to his word. He's not saying it's bad to have tradition. He's not even necessarily saying some of these laws are bad. What is it? What's he saying is we can't have any other word that masquerades as a rival to my word. Every human word bows to one word. And that's Jesus. And the Pharisees just can't do that. So Jesus explodes. When he hears these hypocrites, because he hears the snake in the garden. I mean, did God really say? Think about it, Adam, Eve. What do you want? What's your word say? Let's go with that. Let's make that the starting point. And if God's word fits underneath that, great. If it doesn't, that's okay. You do your thing. Jesus, when the Pharisees come, he hears that hiss. And when you hear that hiss, you don't deliver the news in a sandwich. You kill it. We can't have this. We've got to have people who say, yes, I have words, I have thoughts, I have desires, I have traditions, I I have a bunch of stuff, I have experiences, I have hurt, I have my heart. But all of those things go underneath God's Word. That's what I'm looking for. And so he looks at the Pharisees and says, "Yeah, you're not what I'm looking for. Chapter 8 begins with, Uh, A feeding miracle. Jesus has previously fed 5,000. In chapter 8, he feeds 4,000. And after the miracle, you can see in your Bibles, the Pharisees, verse 11, 8, 11, they demand a sign. Now, give us a sign. we heard about the sign, but we'd like for you to give us a sign. I, I just need you to hear this. They're saying, Jesus... You do what we say. You're the genie in the bottle. We see you can do signs. Uh, We'd like a sign now. Jesus, our wish is your command. This, This is painful. Jesus refuses. He immediately gets in a boat. Look with me in 815... And he gives this stern warning to his disciples. Watch out. Beware. Beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees. Don't be like them. Don't don't get the little part of what they've got into your soul. Because it will explode your life. And my question is, is what is the leaven? What are the disciples supposed to understand about what Jesus is saying? He's using this phrase. And I would say, uh, Jesus is saying... Uh, Look, guys, uh, the, the little thing that can blow up your entire life is that your word is bigger than God's word. And even if it's just a little piece of your word ruling over God's word, it doesn't have to be in every area, just a little area, your whole life can blow up. So guys, trust me. Whatever I say, wherever I go, Whatever, whatever I ask you to do, you've got to be all in. Because, because once your word leaks out and it's more important than God's word, your whole life is in danger of exploding. And I don't want that to happen to you. That, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody who will humble themselves under God's word, no matter what it says, no matter the cost. No matter how it runs counter to your own word or your own tradition or your own culture or your own desires, I'm looking for the person who's going to trust my word. Now, Jesus couldn't be any clearer. Peter, number two, the disciples. We've seen the Pharisees. Now let's 8, verse 27. And Jesus went on with the disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked the disciples, who who do the people say that I am? And they told him John the Baptist, and others said Elijah's, and maybe Elijah or the prophets, and he asked them, well, who do you say that I am? Peter has this great response. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one everybody's been waiting for. You're the one we've been waiting for. And then Jesus, verse 30, he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. This is the painful part. And Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Satan. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. One thing that Peter sees clearly is who Jesus is. Who do people say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one all the Old Testament's pointing to. You're, you're the one we've been waiting for. And, and, and just when you would expect the, the popping of champagne quartz and a big celebration to say, You guys got it right, Jesus comes in with a big cold blanket. And he says, Don't tell anybody. You got this massive thing right, but I need you to wrap a cold blanket around it right now. We, we can't celebrate right now. You can't tell anybody. Jesus wants the disciples to move slowly. And I'm asking myself, why is this? And I think the answer is because Peter and the other 11 disciples, they have the right words, but they don't know yet the right way. They've gotten the right words. Here's the question. Who is Jesus? You got it right. Okay, now what's Jesus' way? He, they don't know that yet. So he's saying, okay, that's that's the first half of the formula. You got it right, great. But let's just press pause until I tell you the way of the Messiah, the way of Christ. And he's he's warning them, don't be too quick to make assumptions about what it means to see Jesus. Think just for a moment if Peter could have lingered. I'm sure he did in reflection. Who else got the right words? about who Jesus is. This Peter's not the first one to identify Jesus as the son of God. Who else said, "Hey, I know who you are. I got your identity." Demons. Says it several times in Mark, Mark chapter 1 I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked the demon and said, be silent. See, the demons know the right words, but they're not leading people in the right way. And so he needs the disciples to slow down and say, be careful because you might have the right words, but if you don't have the right way coupled with it, you might end up being like Satan. I just want you to feel the importance of this. You could actually have the right answer to the theological question of who is Jesus. But if you don't couple it with the right way, you're going to lead people in the wrong direction. And so you've got to know who is Jesus and where is he going? And he's asking the disciples, let's slow down and let me tell you my way before we begin to expose who I am. It's a real big warning. And then in verse 31, you see Jesus begins to say, now now you got the right words, guys. Let me tell you the right way. And I'm going to say it as plainly as I can. I'm going to the cross. It even says, verse 32, he said it plainly. And you can tell immediately how unthinkable this is for the disciples. Because just at the first, first mention of it, this is this, the first sentence out of Jesus' mouth. The leader of the twelve says, uh, Jesus... We need to have a little one-on-one over here. I mean, I got the right words, but, but that's not the right way. See, Peter had the right words, but he had a different way. He was great with Jesus being the Messiah. He was great with Jesus being the Savior. He just didn't like the way he was going to do it. And I want you to hear Peter Take Jesus aside and say to Jesus, Jesus, you do it my way. What does this sound like? Well, it sounds a lot like the Pharisees. Hey, Jesus, right, but this is the way we're going to do it. My wish, Peter, he says to Jesus, is your command. We're not going this way. and and, and you need to see the picture the two of them jesus then looks over and looks at the other 12 or the other 11 and you can just hear the assessment these 11 they have the same alarm peter does they know there's some kind of animated discussion going on over here and jesus knows what's at stake These guys could be following Peter. He's got a magnetic personality. He's the natural leader of the group. And Peter could say, I know the right answer to who Jesus is. And the right way, after you get that down, is prosperity and comfort and wealth and power. And Jesus knows, no, the right way is self-sacrifice, discomfort, and the cross. Now, which one would you be more attracted to? You see, there are plenty of people, even today, who say the right words, but they couple it with the wrong way. That happens every Sunday, folks. They've got the right words, but they've coupled it with the wrong way. And, of course, people come in and say, I need a Savior who is going to give me wealth, and power, and comfort, and health. I've got all kinds of heart and desires that I would love for this person to come in, and I'd like to rub the bottle, and I'd like to them, for them to hear me say, hey, you're going to do it my way, Jesus. And when he doesn't do it their way, there's a massive disappointment. And it's because this was never the way. He said it plainly. Guys, you got the right words, but this is the way. Who's interested? Can I, have, can I see a hand? No hands. So, Jesus looks at Peter, and what does he hear? He hears a snake in the garden. And you know it because he says, get behind me, Satan. This is what Adam should have done. I've heard this voice before. It started in Genesis chapter 3. I just heard it a few minutes ago with the Pharisees, and now I'm hearing it again. Man's word is bigger than God's word. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees, who think they've got it all together, and Peter, who thinks he's in the inner circle, and he's on a shopping spree, and he looks at those two and says, yeah, that's not it. That's not what I'm looking for. Guys, let me show you what I'm looking for. And then he puts it, he plants it here, right in the middle of these chapters, this woman. Here's the third person in our sermon here. Jesus decides to go out of the spotlight for a little while, and he travels actually outside of Israel to this region. But not surprisingly, news leaks out that this person of some notoriety and healing is in this area, and a woman decides to break in on the retreat And you get the feeling she's not really wanted. I mean, the disciples are trying to get rid of her easily. And in Matthew 15, Jesus starts out with, Behold. It's a way of saying, Okay, guys, watch this. Pharisees, disciple. Everybody be paying attention because this is, I'm going to come to the end and say, This is what I'm looking for. So behold. And then just let's behold this woman's character. Mark seems to take special note of the external character of this uninvited guest. She's a woman. Uh, A Jewish rabbi didn't permit any kind of close contact with a woman, especially a Gentile or a Canaanite woman. The Canaanites were mortal enemies to the Jewish people. She's totally absorbed in the secular culture. She's not in any way connected to the Jewish culture. And her problem is a demon-possessed Daughter, So it, Mark seems to be saying, I need you to understand, this is far away as we can get from a Pharisee who's got it all clean on the outside. Here's somebody who has nothing clean on the outside. He's trying to draw that contrast for us. This woman is the least unclean. She, she's the least unfit for the presence of God. But but nothing's going to keep this woman from Jesus. She barges in on this retreat. And Jesus' first response in Matthew 15 is silence. Honestly, it's uncomfortable. And it's arresting because it's not what you would sort of anticipate from Jesus. It feels like a cold shoulder. I mean, this woman's pleading for her daughter. Lord, help me. And my first question is if you go pleading to Jesus and you get silence, do you walk away? See, Jesus is shopping for somebody. He's looking for somebody. And He's looking for somebody is when they don't get the answer, at least in the time that they like, they're still going to stay. And what does the woman do? She stays. She starts bugging the disciples. Guys, I'm not going to leave. The answer is in this room. And I don't care if it takes for eternity. I'm going to stay and I'm going to get underneath this person's word no matter what happens. Second response, I think, is harder than the first response. Because he tells this little story. And in the story, I'm pretty sure the woman is a dog. I mean, there's a lot of commentators, when you read them, they try to make this sound nicer. But I don't know, I mean, is there a way you could be called a dog and feel good about it? I mean, they say, well, it's not really like one of those dogs in the city, it's a dog. You know, I'm like, okay, a dog's a dog, dude. I mean, you call me a dog, I'm I'm not down with that. Most commentators would say Jesus is talking in a parable. And because he's been talking in parables to the Pharisees, he's been talking in parables to the disciples, now he's talking in a parable. And he's trying to help this woman see something, or he's trying to draw something out of this woman. And what he's mostly trying to draw out is to say, woman, do you understand your position before me? Just I just need to make sure you understand who you are before me. That your word isn't above my word. Because that's what I'm looking for. And so God doesn't show favoritism, but he does show a priority. We know that from reading the Bible. And he has a priority for Israel. He's come, and the priority is for Israel. And then from Israel, it's going to launch out into the Gentiles. And he wants to under, help this woman, under, see if this woman understands that at this table, at this retreat, you're the dog. That's your position. It's a huge test. Verse 28, she, her response. Now, what would your response be? Nobody calls me a dog. I don't even care if it's a story. I don't want to be a dog in the story. I'm stomping out of here. I'm not getting my way. I've got the silent treatment. Now I'm going to call the dog. I'm done. I'm out. Verse 28. Look, this is what Jesus is looking for. If you came here today wondering how to follow Jesus, this is it. Yes, Lord. I know my position. I'm in no position to demand of you. I'm in no position to have my word be better than your word. I am a dog at your table. That is what I am. I'm lucky to be in that position. And all I would like is one little crumb. And when Jesus says this, Oh, woman! Imagine in front of these 11 guys, these 12 guys who are in the inner circle, he says to this woman who's outside of Israel, the most unclean external person, he looks at and says, guys, this is it. This is the person I'm looking for. I mean, I would have loved to just been there at that moment and watch Jesus' face light up at this woman. Pharisees, You got it all clean on the outside. You're not it. Peter, you got the right words, but you want your own way. That's not it. I want somebody who's got my word in mind. And no matter what I say, you're going to stay there. That's the person I'm looking for. So if Jesus is shopping today. And he's just... Walking up and down the aisle. He's still looking for this person. Are you in? You got your hurts. You got your pain. You got your desires. You got your traditions. You might even say, I can say the right words. But all are all those things underneath God's word. Or is there a little yeast in your heart that's exploding your life? Yeah, I mean, he made it sunny today, but he's not coming through on my marriage. Or with my kids. Or with my job. Or with my health. And because he's not coming through then that, then I won't have anything to do with him. See, lives get exploded like that all the time. My life almost got exploded like that. When my mother was dying of cancer, it had to be my way. And when it didn't turn out that way, I just about walked away. So I understand that. This is what he's looking for. If you don't know what it means to follow Christ, and you could have been in church your whole life and not know what it means, this is what it means. If I get silence, I'll stay. If I get told, hey, do you know what position you're in? Yep, I do know what position I'm in. And I'll take a crumb of your word over every other word I ever hear or say. Well, thankfully, we're not going to do that perfectly. Perfectly. But there is one person who did it perfectly. And so I'm not inviting people come up, to come up who have no yeast in their heart. I know you have yeast in your heart. Why? Because I know my heart. But the people who are invited to this table are saying, I want to be like this woman. I know it's a struggle. I've got things in my soul. I've got words that I'm living by that aren't God's words, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give those things over and I'm really trusting in God's word and His alone. Then come race up to the table and get a crumb and know His grace is sufficient. Let's pray together. Lord, there are so many things to apply to a life. And you understood that when you sat at a table full of men who were arguing about a different way, who could be the greatest, and you took the cup and said, yeah, I'm going to die for that. People who are going to run away, and you took the bread and said, I'm going to give my body for those kinds of people. And you ask us to come and do it in remembrance of you, to remember who we we are and who you are. And so I pray that you would help your servants here, your children, be more like this woman. Bless these people, I pray, in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.